Welcome to the TOD podcast. Or as we like to say, the Todd Pod. We chat about all things deaf education while you drive around. I'm Kimmy from the Hard of Hearing Teacher. And I'm Deanna from Listening Fun. And let's get started. I've mentioned this before, but I love hearing how other people do things. Since we don't get to really talk with other coworkers during the day, we're just kind of left to our own devices when it comes to figuring things out. Today's episode is going to be like a mishmash of random little tidbits that we found helpful when we're doing our day-to-day jobs. I'm really excited for this episode too because I feel like everyone can get something out of it. Even if you just relate to what we're saying or take something away that you want to try, I really feel like it's going to be beneficial. I want to just jump right into some tips. So first off, when I'm in multiple districts at the beginning of the year, I go through and consolidate everything onto one calendar. I used to do this in my planner, but then I realized I actually checked my Google calendar like on the day to day. And it's better to put it there, even though it's more like time consuming to do that. So I do my own district first because that's like my primary calendar. And then I only add the days from the other districts that are different from my home district. I had to do this a little differently since I worked for a county organization, but I love color coding and I used five main colors for my calendar. I was in three districts, so I color coded my calendar by district. Each one had its own color that I used for both student sessions and holidays. Anything related to that district was in that color. Then I used another color for marking things that were specific to the organization that I worked for that weren't related to my district. So things like PD days or team meetings all were in my fourth color. Then I used a separate color for IEP or evaluation meetings. And for things that are due that I have to take like a considerable amount of time to write, like IEPs or RR reports and progress reports, all of those were in the fifth color so that I could see on my calendar and block out time for those things as well. What color do you use for your IEP meetings? Purple. I use green for mine. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So on the topic of calendars and scheduling, um, when I had a caseload that had a bunch of one to two time a month students and or several older students with rotating schedules, which are like the worst, I found it helpful to plan my schedule like a whole month at a time. So even though I use my Google Calendar for my day to day, I would like have a paper month. I use the one in my itinerant caseload binder, but any calendar in a planner would work just so I can see the whole month. And I put the irregular days and then I write in all the students whose sessions reoccur weekly at the same time every week. Then I fill in the hardest to schedule students, usually the rotating schedule kids. And then I schedule in the easiest to schedule kids who are flexible for one reason or another. That order really helped me. So I had a really large caseload and I could talk about scheduling tips for a very long time, but we're going to save that for another episode. But I want to share my top tip for scheduling. So when I was scheduling, I would have my base schedule. So kind of like what you were describing, I would put every session into my Outlook calendar and I use the reoccurring meeting option to schedule out my sessions. And that like duplicates the meetings for you into the future until a date that you tell it to. And then I invited my students' teachers or case managers or whoever the contact person for them in the building with them was to the calendar meetings. And this really helped so much. It saved so much time for me and for the teachers or case managers because 
we could communicate schedule changes really quickly. You could just cancel the meeting and send a note when you cancel the meeting, and it would cancel just that one session off of the reoccurring set. And that just made it so helpful because my whole calendar was already set. So I would usually set it out through like December or January and then revisit and go through and do it again around December or January for the rest of the year. But it really saved a lot of time and everyone who needed to see it on their calendars could. And some of the teachers and case managers even shared it with like the high school students and it would be on their calendars too. So everyone was on the same page about when the schedules were going to take place, where they were going to take place, and if something changed on the fly, everyone was notified about it. I've never tried that, but I love it. That's the kind of thing that like I would do. Like anything that can be automatic, like should be automatic, you know, it makes it so much easier. I do email teachers when I have changes, but the way I do it is when the schedule is not the same every week, I send an email or I schedule an email. That's another good one. Um, I schedule an email to go out saying, hey, I'm coming these times on these days. If anything changes, please reply to this email and let me know. And sometimes being a little more like clear about it, like you don't even have to find my email address. Just reply to this email and let me know. Um, That worked pretty well for me. And then if the kids are the same time every week, I don't email. I just show up that time every week and eventually they remember. But also- I (laughs) I think making it easier for the teachers or the person in the building also makes it easier for us in the long run. I think so too. And I think they appreciate it too, whether it's like a a co-schedule thing like you have or like an easy to reply to email. If you make it easy for them, like they want to help us. It's just sometimes they forget. Also related to email, I use email groups. Like I group my contacts. So I group all the teachers that go with a specific student at the beginning of the year in my email contacts and I label the group with their initials. That way, when I have to send an email, I just type their initials in, the whole group pops up, and then I delete any like irrelevant people. And that's easier than remembering everyone's names. Like there's so many times when I open my phone to send an email and I just like completely blank on the teacher's name, even though I've been talking to her all year. There's just like so many people. And if I just type the students' initials in and all their teachers pop up, I can just like erase who I don't need and it makes it so much easier. I like that so much because I can't tell you how many times I would have to like go back in my email and search the student's name and try to find the teacher related to that email chain. So I really like that you use the email group. So that's a great tip. Yeah. And like, because it happens all the time where it's like you emailed their speech pathologist one time and you're like, what was that speech pathologist name? Like, I like forget their email. Like, I'm just trying to search the first three letters of their name (laughs) to find it. And like, I can't even remember that. So that how especially like if you're dealing with either kids with like a lot of teachers or like or like middle high schoolers who you you don't need to email everyone every time, but I'm I'm not going to look it up every time I need to send an email. So switching gears a little bit. Let's talk lesson planning. I personally like to be pretty repetitive in my lesson planning, and I like long-term projects. Um, We may play the same game, but make the auditory skill more challenging each time. It's okay, good even, to be repetitive as long as you increase the difficulty of the skill or reduce the support over time. But our kids need repetition. That's like part of good teaching is being repetitive and giving the kids the opportunity to hear that vocabulary more than once and then use it with less and less support. So some ways that I've done that are, I've talked about this a lot, I feel like a broken record, but I often use an independent reading book over many sessions to target various listening and language goals where I read it aloud to them, sometimes listening only, sometimes not, but it's a continuous story over many sessions. 
And then for a lot of my students have Chromebooks. So I what I've done many times is I start a Google Slides like journal, I call it, where every time we learn something new, we make a slide about it. And it's not pretty like because I let them pick the background and do all these crazy gradients and like pick the font and we like take random pictures and grab images off Google. So it's like it's truly I've thought about making it into a TPT product and I'm like, this is not this is like this is a mishmash <laughs> sort of thing. But part of our routine is that every time we looked at it, we looked at all the previous slides. So it was really repetitive, but also effective because at the end of the year, I know that that student retained all that information and it didn't require 30 unique lessons for me to do so. It was the same activity over and over again with different slides and different information that we repeated. Yeah. And having the same activity or even just type of activity with a student and using that over and over again saves you time because you don't have to explain how to do the activity each time. You don't have to plan a new activity each time. And you also can jump right into the skill that you're working on. And you don't have to worry about is the progress I'm seeing being affected by their understanding of the activity or the directions or anything because you know that they know it because you've done it so many times. I like that a lot, using the same activity with students multiple times. I try to select activities and websites that I can also use with multiple students so that I'm not planning each session individually for each student. So I might like think in my head, okay, I have you know X amount of auditory memory skill kids. What can I do this week that's going to target them at each of their different levels? So one of my favorites that I've talked about, not for that skill specifically, but for a a bunch of language and auditory skills is wordwall.net. And I think it's a great example because I can go on and I can save activities that address my students' skills to my library. And you have the repetition between the one student because one student can use the same activity several times. And the cool thing is that you can change it so that the activity either looks different, like the the clip art and the like the theme of it looks different or the game format can be different. So like for each activity, there's seven different games that go with it, but it's targeting all the same skills. So that's really cool because the student's literally working on the same thing, but it looks different to them each time. And older students and younger students like these games. I've used it like first grade through 12th grade. Um, some are a little more drill based and some are more open-ended, and you can also go in and create your own. But once I have my library set up with activities, I can cover most of my caseload with this pretty easily. And it's not something I do every time because I like to mix up if I'm doing digital or paper activities, but this is like one of my go-tos is wordwall.net. I also sometimes would pick a game of the week and bring the same board game with me to nearly every session for the whole week, and I would just differentiate as needed and add different rules to target different skills. Yeah, I love a game of the week. I like uh, Yeti and my spaghetti. I like Pop the Pig. I like Pop Up Pirate. You know, they're classics for a reason, truly. The other thing I do too is sometimes I use the game as a reinforcer for whatever skill I'm working on. And I'm just like reading from a like a binder or a workbook or something. But then sometimes I just change the game to address the skill. So like recently I had a kid who was working on conjunctions and we played a game that had you had to roll a die and it was a color and then you got to pick up like a bug that was that color or something like that. And so I just modeled like I rolled a blue, so I get to pick up a blue fish and then like or bug or whatever it was. Um, 
And like, so like the actual goal was embedded into the activity. But then for another student, I would still use that bug activity, but maybe just as like a reinforcing game while we answered questions on a a worksheet. You know what I mean? So like same game, different stuff. Yeah, I love doing that. Let's talk about digital stuff now, like on our end. I'll be completely honest with you. My desktop at any given time is like kind of a wreck because I'm in the habit of just like saving everything to my desktop and then I go through and like organize it all like one day. Um, However, I do have one folder that I keep organized and it's a folder specifically for no prep printable resources. So if it has to be laminated to be used or requires Velcro, it does not go in this folder. And there's not a lot of subfolders, just listening language and self-advocacy. And when I buy or make a resource that is printable, I drop it in the folder and I make sure I change the name to something searchable. And then when I need an activity, I go in the folder and I search multiple meaning words, context clues, whatever it is. And then I can just print and go. Like I don't have to worry about like, can I use this just printed? Because I know I can because that's what this folder is for. Um, So I'll put a link in the show notes of all of my like no prep resources that fit this. But I find that easier than sifting through all of my resources. And Kimmy, I know for a fact you are more digitally organized than I am. So I'm sure you have some other tips. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, I do like to keep everything digital and very organized. I have mentioned before that I have a digital folder for each student so that I never have to keep or carry any of their papers. I link all of my plans from my caseload planner to the student's folder too so that everything is easy to get to. But for data trials, I like to use resources that are like running lists basically. And I will save those running lists to each student's folder and name them. And then I can like put the date for each time that I'm doing trials and whatnot in that. So it's all like within this organization structure. I had found this auditory memory WH questions editable document that I used for a few students. It was one of my favorites. And I was able to use this document for multiple trials over like multiple months. It had so many. And I could use that one document to track their progress for like almost a whole school year, depending on the amount of times I was taking data with a student. And like you were saying earlier, it was also repetitive so that the student knew exactly what we were doing. And it was one of those like, we could take data and be done with it super quick. Like it would take 30 seconds and we could move on because we both knew what we were doing and it was great. I also have in my TBT store a minimal pairs data collector that you can make a copy for each student and put it in their digital folder if you do that. And there's enough trials and lists for each skill type that you can do trials for a really long time with the same document. And it tracks it all and it calculates for you and it even puts it into little graphs and it's all in one place. And I really like being able to use the same doc for a student for a long time. Just it really keeps everything nice and organized. And I know where to go for my data when it comes time for IEPs and progress reports. Yeah, that seems really cohesive. (laughs) (laughs) I have a notebook. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. But um, anyway, there is I do have another digital one, though. This is not data related. This is more like logistical related. Um, But I use Google Keep, which I also feel like I've talked about extensively. Um, But it's like basically like sticky notes, but like in Google, which for me is important because I want to be able to see it on my computer and on my phone. 
And basically, I have like a sticky note for each district that I'm in. And it's just like a dumping ground for all information related to the students in that district. So, you know, a picture of the bell schedule, the principal's name, the secretary's name, the classroom number of their homeroom, like just like those little bits of information that you're not really sure where to write down, but you know you're going to need later. And I know I'll forget personally. And I like that Google Keep is very visual. So like when I open the app, I see all the notes. Like I only have to click once. I have to click on Google Keep and then I see everything. I don't have to like keep clicking into stuff. So that just makes it faster and easier to keep it. And I feel like Google Keep is like my second brain. I love that. And what you're saying is basically the caseload planner that I was talking about before is basically that, but for each student and it's like clickable and you can go through because I was at one point kind of keeping track of all of that on actual sticky notes <laughs> and I like couldn't find anything ever and you're right like you need to know the principal's name and you need to know the room number and what their schedule is and all of those things and I, I agree I really like having it all in one place where you can just like click on the student's name or like you said you know go to your sticky note for that district and see it all in one place do you want to hear a funny story of one time I, <laughs> I was I walked into a preschool classroom and there was a guy setting up like taking a sound field out of a box. And I walk up to him like, hi, are you the tech guy? I'm the teacher of the deaf. And he goes, no, I'm the director of special services. And I was like, (laughs) because, you know, I work in so many districts. Like, I don't personally know any of these people. I've never met them in person. I didn't even know his name. Like, oh, my God. I was so embarrassed. Are you the tech guy? (laughs) No, he's not the tech guy. (laughs) So, like, um, I wrote down that guy's name because I certainly was not going to make that mistake again. But I was like, oh, my God. I was like, I'm really happy that you're so involved in um, this whole thing. But, oh, yeah, that was that was really embarrassing. The preschool teacher was looking at me like cracking up. Um, <laughs> anyway. <laughs> and you learned, though. You learned and now you're sharing this this tip with other people. <laughs> don't just so assume, that. you know. And, like, looking back, he was wearing a tie. Like, I don't know what tech guy wears a tie. That was my bad. That was- <laughs> this episode is brought to you by the Listening Color Bundle from Listening Fun. Teach vocabulary in context with no prep includes all the language targets you need, context clues, multiple meaning words, synonyms and antonyms, inferences and analogies. You read a sentence aloud, discuss the vocabulary target with your student, they color the corresponding picture on the page. It's print and go for you and engaging for your student. Link in the show notes and at listentotodpod.com. Now back to the show. Anyway, um, back to like helpful tips. Oh, that's the on my phone. The other thing I use besides Google Keep is the reminders app. So if you have a iPhone, you just hold down the button on the side to activate Siri. And then you could say, remind me at 3 p.m. to email Miss Kimmy. And it automatically creates a reminder in the reminder app. And I'll get a notification at that time to do that thing. And that is so much faster than going into an app and setting a reminder. So I do this all day long. And then it reminds me. It's really the only way I can remember to do anything at any time. And then if you use Apple Maps and it knows where you live, you can say, remind me when I get home to email Miss Kimmy. And then when you pull into the driveway, you'll get a notification, which is like so creepy, but like so helpful because sometimes that's like when I have to send an email is like when I get home is like when I have the time to do it. Sometimes it'd be like that. And it really like that reminder app is truly the only way I send any email to anyone on time. I actually have never really used the Reminders app on my phone, but I really like that feature that you can hold down Siri and that you can say, hey, when I get home, you're right. A little creepy, but super helpful. (laughs) 
it is so much faster than like manually setting an alarm or manually setting a reminder and like those two because i can do it while i'm walking i can do it like it just it works that's awesome okay moving on to progress reports (laughs) um anytime i receive a report or i write a report with language that i think i might use again i copy paste it into a google doc we kind of talked about this with evaluations um it's like kind of making your own templates to use again. So I don't even formally make templates. I literally just copy and paste paragraphs that I think sound good and put them in one running Google Doc. So that way I can like pull different language when I need it. And then I highlight the information that needs to be changed. Pronouns, specific examples, and specifics to the student so that it's easy to switch out because there's nothing more embarrassing than using a template and then forgetting to change like the pronouns or something. I feel like it just looks unprofessional, but it's so easy to do because... I'm not great at proofreading, so I need to highlight. Um, But using a template and adjusting it for the student is so much faster and more efficient. And the other thing I do, too, is when I um, change the name in a template, I just make it I make the name like XX. And then when I put it into the students, I can just do a find and replace and change all the XXs to the student's first name, like in Word. You can do that or in Google Docs. So that's also faster because then I know I've changed the name in all the places it needs to be changed. That's a great autom- like automatic system. I love that. When I'm collecting data for progress reports, I like to have my students' goal, any baseline data and objectives on the same page where I keep all of my data for that goal. And then I also have their progress reports right under it. So this is how it's set up in my caseload planner because I can enter the data into the mini spreadsheet. I can see right next to it any of the notes that I took. And then right underneath is where I write the progress report. And I like being able to see everything for each goal together That way I can write the progress report using the same language as the goal. I can check any objectives if I need to. And then I have the next progress report box right under that. And usually I can just copy and paste from the first trimester, for example, into the second trimester box and just change out the progress or the data points or the amount of support that I was giving that student Um, so that everything is together. And it's again, I'm just like copying and pasting and I know exactly what I need to change. So it makes it a little quicker. Yeah, I do the same organization-wise, except it's on paper, so I can't copy and paste (laughs) it. But, like, it's set up the same way. I do think that makes the most sense to have the goal and the data, like, all cohesive like that. This is, like, a very random tip. This is, like, the kind of thing that, like, I would tell if someone asked me, like, hey, do you have any tips for a new itinerant? Is to get comfortable shoes because we're on our feet all day and, like, we're walking, like, through parking lots or down streets. Like, I feel like I'm walking all these random places. And my first year, I wore lots of cute little shoes, like, little heeled booties. And I just, like, ruined them in all the rain and the snow. We had, like, a real rough winter that year. And now I go into a lot of homes for early intervention. So I got a pair of those, like, slip-on Kizik sneakers, which are amazing because if you're holding a bag and you're trying to change your shoes, it's just, like, not going to work. So I really like those. And I just think it's, like, not worth it. Like, it's – it's you need – nice like comfortable shoes i definitely tried to wear cute shoes for the first few weeks you said the whole year i definitely made it a first few weeks (laughs) and then decided that comfortable shoes was a must and i only ever wore shoes that are more for looks than comfort if i knew i would be in the same school all day which for the way that my caseload was set up happened about like once a week or more um so i there was like one day a week most of the time that I could be like, oh, I'll wear a cute pair of shoes and I'll plan my you know, whole outfit for that day. And that was like my cute outfit of the week. I also have one pair of shoes that are for both rain and snow. So that really helps keep it simple. And I always checked my schedule for the day and the weather before picking out my clothes. So for example, if I'm working with a student in a self-contained classroom and I'm 
not trying to wear anything that can cause a wardrobe malfunction if a student pulls on it or if they're running and I need to run after them or something. Um, So I want to make sure that I know what my schedule looks like before I'm getting dressed in the morning. And if you're going to multiple schools and multiple rooms, this is my like new itinerant teacher tip. Mm -hmm. You never, ever know what the temperature of a room or a hallway is going to be. So layering is so important. I always kept a cardigan in my teacher bag at all times and an umbrella too, of course. Of course. I felt like just having a cute jacket made my day so much better because I spent so much time wearing my jacket, like compared to a normal person who just like goes to work once as opposed to like going in and out of buildings all day long. So having like a jacket that I thought was like cute. Oh, no. I just I liked it because I was wearing it all day. So and a lot of people saw me in it. So it might as well be a cute jacket. (laughs) Okay, moving on to materials and storage tips for like printed materials for resources that are printed and laminated. I like those zipper pouches from Amazon. They're like the mesh with the colorful zipper on the top. And I put everything related to that topic in the pouch. I feel like this works better than a folder for me because if there's little pieces, everything's like contained in the pouch. Um, And if I need to work on that goal, like, you know, something like a self-advocacy goal, I'll just grab the little pouch associated with that self-advocacy goal. I don't have to like think of specific activities. I can just grab the whole pouch and I have them all together. And, And if I print anything, I can stick it in that pouch also. I, last year at the dollar store, they had folders that had a zipper pouch on the outside of the folder. Wow. And that's where I keep my like board games. And I have the pieces for the board games in like little baggies in that pouch. And then like the board game boards are in the folder. But I also do that for like some of my paper activities that had movable pieces like you're talking about. But it's literally like a regular folder. But then there's a zipper pouch on the outside. Best thing That's ever. like great. Really like the key is the zipper. Like it needs to be able Absolutely. to close because I need to be able to stick it in my bag and not worry about like pieces falling out basically. And I felt like I could fit a lot more in the pouch than I could fit in a folder. So and if it's like on a binder ring or something like it goes in the, the little pouch easier. And then with like bags and stuff, I have one bag for paperwork and one bag for like bigger toys and games. The reusable bags from Home Goods, they're like twice as big as regular reusable bags. Those are great if you need like a toy bag. I only need to bring the toy bag if I'm working with like younger students that day. And my paperwork bag is like my laptop or my iPad, any binders or workbooks I want to use, those zipper pouches I mentioned, um, usually a small whiteboard, some magnet chips, a wand, uh, some super duper decks, you know, like the stuff that's small that I'd use with like a lot of ages. And then usually like the bigger toys go in the toy bag. I only really carried one folder with me. I used the digital version of my caseload planner. So I didn't really need to carry around paperwork with me because I could access that on my computer, my phone and my iPad because it's in Google. One side of my folder that I had was for any papers that I needed or was given, like a guidance counselor printed a student's changed schedule for me. That goes in my folder, but later I update it in my student's page on my planner, or I take a picture and I put it in their digital folder and I shred the schedule. Like I'm not holding on to that paper, but I know I need it for later. And if the teacher gives it to me as a paper, I'm not going to like hand it back to them. That's what I did too, is I would take a picture of that and stick it in my Google Keep. And then I just get rid of the paper. But like yeah. be just being able to take a picture of it as opposed to like having to worry about scanning it. For me, that like that oh, like no, no, I'm not scanning it. <laughs> <laughs> I'm also taking a picture. <laughs> that just like mentally made it so much easier because I could just do it in the moment. Like click, now it's now I have it forever. 
Yeah. No, I wasn't scanning. It was more of like I'm walking down the hallway and like a guidance counselor hands me a schedule. They're like, oh, I found you here. And I could just like stick it in my folder. And then later I take a picture and I put it in my digital folder because scanning takes too long. <laughs> yeah, for sure. <laughs> um, then the other side of my folder was for student worksheets. So if it's a week that I'm doing a paper activity, I would put my copies in my folder and then throughout the week, I would have less and less papers as I go because I give them to my kids, take pictures of their work when they're done, and then add it to their digital folder. Um, and then any left over papers at the end of the week get thrown out. Unless a student was absent or something and I know I wanted to go back to that activity with them, I might keep like one copy in that side of my folder, my student work part of my folder. Um, another tip for carrying and storing less as I mentioned earlier, I use board games pretty regularly. I always take board games out of their box and condense them as much as possible into a folder or a small baggie. If I can find a small like mini version of the board, even better. Last year, I found a bunch of great ones at the dollar store. They were like regular board games, but in a easy to carry fashion. I also and do the same thing. Really I put them in the little zipper pouches that I talked about before. I bought like 20 of them. I, <laughs> I put everything <laughs> in them. <laughs> yeah. I'm not carrying around a big box to every you know school with me all day. Um, I actually do that in my house too because I really just don't like clunky boxes for games. And then other things that I carried with me most of the time were my iPad, my computer, and a small pencil container with colored pencils, crayons, scissors, a glue stick, and like that kind of small stuff. But that was pretty much it. I tried to keep everything as condensed as possible. So I had my electronics, my one folder that had everything in it, and then my um, pencil case that had if I had like paper activities for that week, and then maybe my one like game that I was doing that week. And then for at home, I had one of those which actually I still have. It has all my stuff in it. Um, one of those like plastic drawers, it has the three drawers in it. And I keep everything in that and anything that doesn't fit in that doesn't stay. Wow. I can't give any advice on home storage because I have <laughs> way too much stuff. I'm like a, I'm like a, a maximalist. Like I have everything. <laughs> Very um, opposite. <laughs> I know. Well, it's good though because it's, you know, some things you're good at, some things I'm good at. <laughs> so I'll just uh, report back when I figure that out. Um, not okay. <laughs> Nothing to share there. I'm going to come over and I'm going to organize all your teacher stuff because that, that. that actually sounds like a really fun day for me. Truly, truly. <laughs> Not for me, though. I'll leave. <laughs> okay. So part of the reason why we wanted to do this podcast was to chit-chat with other TODs. And I think that this episode really captures that because these are the kind of tips that they don't teach you in school and you have to figure out on your own. And these are the things that we feel would come up if TODs had like a teacher's lounge. Like this is our teacher lounge chat. <laughs> Sometimes I get asked people like, hey, like I'm about to switch to itinerant. Like, do you have any advice? Like, this is my advice. Like all of this, like all <laughs> these random little tidbits of information. <laughs> yeah, all of this is definitely really helpful stuff. So we hope that you also found this helpful. And if you did, make sure that you're subscribed on Apple or Spotify so that you can get notifications when new episodes are released. A full transcript and show notes can be found at listentotodpod.com. Until next week. Bye. Bye. Bye.